welcome everyone to the BISA Portfolio Podcast. I'm Rich Blake, Portfolio Contributing Editor. Today we're going to be speaking with BISA President Frank Consolo, uh, covering some issues surrounding what is expected to be a transformational period with society opening up post-pandemic. Uh, thanks for making time, Frank. Thank you, Rich. Uh, look forward to our conversation today. Thanks for having me. I mean, no one will ever forget this past year. In terms of the advisory industry's response to the pandemic shutdown, what's your biggest remembrance? What are some of your biggest takeaways? For the company I work for, I, I head up sales for the U.S. for city personal wealth management and some of the things that we did as, as an organization. But I think our entire industry, when you look at you know, what the last 14 months you know, entailed, you know, we came out of our convention last March. I think it's the last time many people, including myself, actually traveled. You know, came down to South Florida. The virus had just started taking hold, and we were fortunate. No one, no one got sick, and, and we had a great convention. I think everyone left there thinking, you know, you remember, flatten the curve. It'll be two to three weeks, four weeks. And I don't think anybody that I remember was talking about, you know, 12, 18 months down the road that, you know, we would have a, a pandemic and, you know, the economy shutting down. And I think if you look across the spectrum of industries, our industry fared remarkably well. There were many things that, that came out of it, I think, good and bad, you know, that, that we're now adjusting to. But probably the biggest thing that I think banks did was that we answered the call when it came to PPP and kept many businesses afloat and small business people. And, and I think if you look, were to look at whether it's City or, or Wells or any of our you know, members, and whether it's an M&T bank on the regional side or Truist, I think we really stepped up and made sure that the capital was flowing through to, to small business owners and, and really kept many of them afloat and put money in the pockets of individuals that were employees of those you know, types of businesses. Two, you know, we learned how to work differently. And all of the sales teams and, and back office and project management, everything from A to Z really had to learn how to do their job differently. And I think when we went into this, and I'll be the first to say, I was never a big believer of having people working from home, especially on a full-time basis. And coming out of it, I'm a, now a big believer that you, know, you can actually be much more effective and productive. And for the right people, it really makes a lot of sense. I think when this first happened, right, we thought, oh, geez, nobody's going to show up for work. They're all going to be at home. And you know, the productivity is going to go down and, and the exact opposite happened. Three, I think, you know, the average age of advisor in, in the industry is in the 50s. And, you know, change does not come easily to a group that's, you know, set in their ways. And I think one of the biggest things we saw was that people did have to adapt to change, whether it was where they worked, how they worked, adapting new ways of doing business, including, you know, technology, DocuSign, and, you know, things that really had not become part of their, of their DNA are now part of the way they do business. So, you know, I look back and think, I remember, you know, banks that are competitive to each other, but actually coming together and working for the benefit of, of their citizens and, you know, fellow man, basically, you know, really trying to help. I mean, we saw, I know in our business, right, we, I saw people working at 12, 1, 2 a.m. in the morning to get loans through, you know, working on a Saturday to go meet with somebody who had an illness in the family or, you know, a member who, who might have been on an incubator. Unfortunately, and I know I can speak for City, we saw several of our associates who passed away due to the virus. So, you know, it hit home really quickly. You know, personally, we had an advisor at City who, who passed away on a Thursday and we got and spoke to his wife who seemed to be fine. And then seven days later, his wife passed away, uh, you know, with three kids left behind. So I think what we remember is some of the dark points of, of folks that really, you know, we never, we didn't have any idea at the beginning how this would impact us you know, emotionally and, and the fact that we would see fellow teammates and 
know, all across the country, you know, folks die from this, this horrible virus. So I'll tell you what I think was the best thing to come out of it. And that is, I think we all became a little more patient, a lot more patient. I'll give you an example. If we would have done a conference call, let's say pre-pandemic, and if and you've heard dogs bark or kids crying in the background or, you know, sirens going off, everybody's, you know, your patience was very short and, and you were probably like, put yourself on mute. And, and you, why are you working from home? Get in the office. Now I was on a Zoom this morning and somebody's cat jumped across, you know, and I was kind of laughing thinking it doesn't bother anybody. We've all become to accept one another a little more for who we are. And, and I think we give people a lot more grace. And I think that's a good thing where you might not look your best uh, when you're on Zoom and, you know, there's kids in the background and sometimes you see, you know, animals and pets. I think we've gotten to respect one another more. And, and really, I like that. I think it's, I think it's one of the positives come out of this is that we all realize that we have families and there's business, you know, that's outside of work that we have to, you know, attend to. And we can't always, you know, we might be turned on uh, 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. But, you know, we realize that I think everybody has other responsibilities. And I think that's probably one of the positives that I'll remember is that we all became a little more tolerant and a lot less impatient. That's an interesting perspective, really put the humanity back into this conversation. Continuing on that theme, in terms of trends that were necessary during the pandemic, which ones, you know, whether DocuSign or, you know, full-time working remotely, different workflows, what's going to continue post-pandemic? What do you see the future of the workforce looking like in advisory? I mean, I think the obvious to everybody is the work from home um, that, that took place, right? But when, you know, as I mentioned early on, I don't think any of us thought that would be a, a long-term solution. Now I look at it and I really break it out into two, maybe three different types of, of, of um, work streams or, or different roles. The first would be home office, you know, project managers and staff people that, you know, really worked in a corporate location. I think the corporate employees became much more productive working from home, right? And, and if you think of a major city like New York, you know, the commute could be anywhere from one to two hours each way. The cost is, is really expensive to, you know, get on a train and a subway and then pay to park and, you know, eat lunch and then go home. And, you know, those hour to two hour each way now, those hours are now spent, you know, people working from home. So they're much more productive. The employee is much happier and actually comes to work each day with, with a vigor, you know. Now, what we do miss, though, is that collaboration of getting together and the camaraderie and just the reading each other and understanding what's taking place in a meeting. And, and I think we're, I think the best scenario might be, you know, working remote, but then also adapting to an office one or two days a week. And I think that's probably what, you know, I'll do with our team. And then the second would be the, the, the frontline folks that are actually meeting with clients. And what we found is, you know, yes, you can do some things remote and it can, you can become more productive, but our clients in a retail level, still want to meet with people. They want to, whether it's at their home, at their office or your office, they still want to meet. They want to meet face-to-face and have dialogue and discussion, whether they're young, middle-aged, old. Um, what we found was at some point they do want to come back and actually, you know, shake hands and, and, and you know, read the individual that they're, that they're working with. So for those folks, and maybe in a bank, it could be the tellers, the personal bankers, you know, licensed bankers, um, advisors, sales assistants. I'll put the sales assistants in a third bucket, which I think they actually probably what we found was you can achieve a lot of productivity being centralized and having people learn from one another where um, where they pick up, you know, sales skills, phone skills, most importantly, how to interact with people, how to, you know, how to do a handoff of a client to someone else. 
And what we found over the last year is that those, those individuals have become much more effective in mm. roles and, and, and very um, productive in more ways than just revenue. Actually, the client impact, what we've seen is the net promoter scores have actually increased dramatically by having these people all centralized and, and working with mm. clients where clients aren't having to wait on hold and they're getting issues resolved you know, rather quickly. So the last would be our managers, right? I would put myself in that bucket. I, I think, you know, whether it's recruiting or coaching and working with individuals on your team, I think it's really important that that, that whole emotional or what they call EIQ of the job, you can't really read it as well over, over the phone or, or, or a Zoom. And so, I, you know, we've got to get back to where those people are, are, you know, in front of their teams, whether it's to inspire them, coach them, mentor you know, help build the team out, interact with clients, you know, and really on a daily basis, provide that ongoing dialogue and feedback to their team and just keep them, you know, focused in the right direction. That's the part of the job that I think has, has really gone missing the last year. And that's where the biggest gaps we see, right, is the ability to, you know, call up somebody or meet them, you know, for lunch or have an actual meeting where you can collaborate together with another area of the bank, or maybe it's just forming a team, a junior advisor, a sales assistant, an advisor, and how they can work together more effectively. That's really tough to do over the phone, you know, and in and, and a Zoom. So I think that trend will be that combination of having both and incorporating it. And obviously, if you're any major company with real estate, I think we're all relooking how we're going to, going to address the real estate needs, right? If you have 50 people, do you need 50 offices? You might only need 30. So that's probably a trend that has started and, and won't, won't, you know, probably won't end anytime soon as we look to ways to get, you know, to get our teams back into the offices and figure out who needs to be in an office, who doesn't. The last thing I would say is it's really difficult to build culture when everybody's sitting at home. I mean, because I mean, then the culture becomes just at my own little box at home. And I think the um, what that will ha- what will happen is I think it's going to push up wages and actually the demand for even ta- for better talent or, or for existing talent, because it'll be very easy for somebody to say, well, I'll let you work from home as well. And I'll pay you five thousand dollars more. And if the only thing that matters is the is the you know price you're getting paid. Right. Or the wages you're getting paid. It'll be much easier for people to say, well, I can go to another organization and get paid more. And then six months, well, I can go to another organization and you get these bidding wars because if all I have to do is sit at home, don't go into an office and I'm not, you know, really working with other folks, the only differentiator isn't the culture. It's really just the payer you know, and, and maybe your boss. And hopefully if, if that's equal, I'm, I worry about that. I worry about the, the idea of, of having to go out and find talent, knowing the job market the way it is right now. And the demand for talent, we see it every day, right? With you know, there are openings, and there's less people looking to get in the industry. Obviously, with our diversity efforts, we're trying to reach into colleges and, and other areas where we can find individuals to, to get in the industry. But I think that's going to be that's going to be a challenge for all of us. And that's one of the trends I think that we're seeing is that how do you attract people, younger people, to join our business? Because the average age, as I said earlier, c- continues to get older for the typical advisor in this business. And so we've got to focus on, I think one of the big things that will come out of this, teams are much more um, likely to be part of the, the investment landscape where an advisor will, you know, will have specialists. So an insurance specialist, and maybe somebody who's a portfolio manager and the advisor who's the relationship manager. So that sort of team element is what I think going forward will become a bigger and bigger part of, of how successful an individual is or how successful the firm is.
And I think that's, that's what's coming out of the whole pandemic, right? We've had to rely on people in other areas. And now it's going to be, hey, let me bring those people in and make them part of my team so that I can be successful. And it's in the best interest of my clients. I'll build a value proposition around it. And clients like that. They like to know, know there's, there's a lot of confidence uh, in dealing with more than just one individual. You feel like, you know, I can, hey, I've got a specialist for all these areas that, that are, you know, important in my life, whether it's legacy planning, whether it's part of the financial plan, asset allocation. So whatever those metrics are, I think that team will be a big part of the success going forward. You mentioned possibly scaling back on branches, real estate, with respect to those locations and the foot traffic. Just looking at growth opportunities going forward, do you see more opportunities coming from digital leads? Absolutely. We're, I know we're seeing it in the city and, and I think the whole industry is seeing it. You know, I look, I always like to look at like, who are the competitors that are winning in our space? And, you know, if you go back over the last one, three, five, even six, seven years, the biggest attractors of capital of, of assets, right, are Vanguard, Fidelity, Schwab and Ameritrade. I mean, they have grown exponential in terms of gathering clients' assets. And if you were to look at their footprint, you know, all four of them are generally, they're not all do-it-yourself, but they have a do-it-yourself piece, right? And like the Fidelity, it's a do-it-yourself, but they also have advisors and, they, and then they have a high net worth area. Ameritrade, it starts off do-it-yourself and then they have advisors that they, that they will assign you to. And, you know, they don't have branches, right? They don't, they have, I mean, they have branches, but they don't have bank branches. They're on every corner. And they're very strategically located throughout the U.S. But what they do have is marketing. You know, they all market really, really well. And there's many banks that do the same thing. It, like I, I can speak for City, right? We're, we're, we market, you know, our credit cards and, and we're one of the biggest providers of credit cards. But I guess if I were to look at City, right, how do, how do you take a client who's a single product client like with a credit card and then how do you engage them in maybe a mortgage? And then from a mortgage, how do you differentiate investment offerings? A lot of it has to do with building a value proposition for different segments of client, right? If I'm, if I'm an affluent client and I'm looking for, you know, managed accounts and someone to manage my money because I want to do it myself, right? Fees may be one issue, but more importantly, maybe can I get to that person and, and have a meaningful conversation on a regular basis? Can I get through them quickly, you know, or am I going to have to go through a, you know, a maze of a phone call, leave a message and wait two days for somebody to call me back? So I think using those digital capabilities in, in conjunction with that personal service is going to be critical. But so digital might be a bring them in the door, but it's going to take the individual or the team to actually fulfill it and go forward with delivering on some sort of value that that client perceives they can't get elsewhere. And then obviously then you deepen the wallet share, create a client for life and, and move on from that point. But I think clients demand right now that you have digital capabilities, whether it's through an app or your desktop or even a phone, you've got to have something that you can deliver information at 11 o'clock at night when I'm sitting there and I want to update my financial plan. I don't want to wait until tomorrow morning to actually call the advisor, spend an hour on the phone for something I should have been able to do in, in 10 seconds, you know? And those, you know, competitors I mentioned earlier, that's, that's the type of, you know, of scale that they've provided to their clients and the rest of the industry has followed suit in the last 10 years, you know, where everybody has like maybe a robo offering, um, they've got full service offering, and then they've got the digital capabilities that they can enhance, you know, wherever the client happens to come in, whether it's through a digital channel or self-service or, or an advisor, because we all want those capabilities, right? I want to be able to get a look at my portfolio. I want to be able to maybe see where my assets are. What's my performance like? Hey, let me update my financial plan. Hey, do you have direct to consumer? I can buy life insurance. You know, all those things matter. 
And we will all have to continually get better on that because if I'm a client myself, right. And I look and say, you know, why can't we do this easier, quicker, faster, and more efficiently because you see the competitors who are doing it now. I mean, there's an amazing number of like robo apps and you look at the, of what they can provide the research, the information, and it's for free, you know, until you actually place a trade or put, and you put money in. So, you know, it's, I, the good news is it's going to make us all better. I mean, I think this is, this has really made everybody take a look of their capabilities and to put more focus on their investment in not just people, but also the, the digital capabilities they have or don't have and, you know, where those lapses are and then how to correct it. Because the client, I see it every day, clients demand it. They, they want more of it and they want the ability to do business when they want to do it in conjunction with having a full service advisor and advice available to them as well. You know, the digital transformation is an issue that we're going to continue to talk about. Uh, the reopening of society is going to dominate conversations. What are some issues or even one issue that isn't getting a lot of attention right now that you think either should be or is about to? Well, you know, I'll tell you what I worry about just as a whole in our whole industry. And that is, you know, over the last, it's probably been 30 years, but for at least the last 15, 20 years, we have been in a you know, somewhat of a deflationary environment where the bond market has done nothing. You know, if you own bonds, you not only got coupons, but you made, you had a total return because interest rates continue to decline. And I've been a big believer over, over those years that interest rates would, would continue to decline. And I've had those conversations with my team over the years. However, if you were to look around right now, you, you are seeing inflationary pressures at, at, in, in many ways, what we haven't seen in, in, since I've been an adult. You know, like if you were just look at lumber prices to build a house, it's up dramatically, right? Copper's up dramatically. If you look at any commodity prices, you know, and if you go to the grocery store, you can see, you know, coffee has, has gone up in price dramatic. A lot of the essentials that we use, right? Housing is up, taxes are up, insurance is up. There's really very few segments you can look at. You can buy a TV cheaper and you can buy maybe an electronic cheaper, but you know, that doesn't help feed people. <laughs> And when you look at energy costs, and I saw today, right, the pipeline shut down, they said energy prices and gas is probably going to jump up over the next week. We've seen, you know, gasoline go up about 90 cents in the last year or two. So, you know, all of those, I think, add up. And eventually, if you do, if inflation gets in our system, I worry that people aren't prepared for it because I would say at least 40 to 50% of people's assets are in bond funds or interest rate sensitive asset classes. And if that were to happen and really take hold, it happens quickly. I don't think the industry or individual advisors or our clients are prepared for it because inertia sets in, right? If every year your bond portfolio produces a set six, seven, eight percent return and the principal stays flat or goes up and you've never seen it go down, you start to believe that it will never go down. And if all of a sudden we get this increase in rates, which I mean, it may be at some point in the future, I'm not convinced that we're prepared as an industry or even the sales teams, right? Even though people have asset allocation and the market's at a high, if we get rates start to really start to back up and the market sells off, you could have your equity portfolio going, going down and your fixed income going down and it's a double whammy. So I worry about that a lot because I think that um, especially younger advisors who have never been through an, an environment when rates go up, when I first got in the business, it happened and people get much more upset when their fixed income goes down in value than they do when their stocks go down in value. So that's my you know, big, big area that I would think of. The other one is, in, in especially specifically in a bank channel, and you mentioned it a minute ago, right, was how do we adapt in an environment where there's less and less people going and using branches 
And how do we get to those millennials who in the last you know, nine months became a major part of the investing public, right? Through apps like Robinhood and others, whether they're trading for speculation or investing, doesn't matter. They've, they've come into the marketplace. And I think that's a good thing to have people exposed and actually you know, utilizing digital capabilities to, be an, to become an investor. So one of the issues will be, how do we attract them? Because they're not, I have two daughters, 24 and 26. I don't think either one of them has been in a bank branch in the last 10 or 15 years, ever. I mean, if they can't do it digitally, they're not going to do it. And so we have to figure out how do we, how do we capture those, that, those people? Because you know what? They're incredibly bright. They're highly educated. Contrary to popular belief, they actually, and they're making good money. And they're the future you know, wealthy um, entrepreneurs and, and business people in the next five to 10 years. So we've got to figure out how to attract them because the standard of just putting up a branch on the corner and hoping they walk in probably isn't going to work. So, so, you know, it's going to be through other, you know, other ways, marketing, client events. One of the opportunities we have is to really differentiate providing not investment advice, but actual client type events where people can come in and have an experience because that's what younger people are looking for, right? And the millennials and Gen X is an experience. So maybe it's a cooking outing. And then at the end, talking about investments or maybe it's no investments and just showing that you care and you're trying to help them do other things. Wine tasting, you know, um, a lot of the digital online things that we did over the last year that BISA was really a big part of. We saw some really great responses to things like wine tasting and having a sommelier come on or a cooking event, things that you normally wouldn't think that could do well in a, a Zoom environment, but it did. And I think in person, that's going to be something that we can do a lot more of going forward. So it's going to be those client type touch events that be, and people being creative and finding new ways to reach out to folks because it's not going to work by just waiting for people to walk in our branch. So that'd be my two big things that I think we got to figure out over the next coming months and years. Any take on cryptocurrency? It's here to stay. And I, I was on an app the other day and there was over 70 different crypto coins that I saw, you know, on one of the apps. And, you know, I knew maybe 10 of them. And it's, you know, if you, again, if you look at the millennial crowd and, and actually a lot of smart people that are now accepting Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or Dogecoin for payment, I don't think it's going to go away. I mean, now people shouldn't invest in it if they don't know what they're investing in, right? They should absolutely do their homework and research and understand that just like a stock or, or any currency, right? It can go up and down in value 24 hours a day and fluctuate. So unfortunately, I think a lot of people might be getting into it, not understanding what they're actually buying. And that's the unfortunate, but going forward, it's here to stay. You know, it offers investors if you or, you know, owners, 24 hour access, buy and sell, it's liquidity. So, you know, anytime, it, you know, when you have this much liquidity in the marketplace and people talking about it, you know, I think over on Saturday night, Saturday Night Live had Elon Musk talking about some coin, you know, it's, it's at the forefront of all of the, all of these apps with Robin Hood and all the do-it-yourselfers and the Reddit crowd, you know, they're talking about different coins. So it won't go away, but hopefully people don't end up losing a fortune in it either, because a lot of times people get involved in things that they don't know what they're doing. And, you know, months later, years later, it, it's not, it doesn't look so pretty. Well, we certainly covered a lot of ground. I appreciate you taking the time out. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for joining this BISA Portfolio Podcast, and look out for more of them to come. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Rich. Appreciate the time today.